One of the things that we are highly committed to here at this church is um, the gospel, not only locally, but also globally, and we're so thankful. Um, Reverend Tu has been a missionary partner for this church for so many years, and so uh, she is... She comes here, and she's very humble and quiet, but she has planted so many churches, and uh, so many lives have been affected through her, so we are very grateful to be able to partner with her. And so that being said, before we dive into the Word of the Lord, I want to pray this morning, pray for the preaching of the Word, but also pray for uh, Reverend Tu, as well as the um, uh, AGTM in, in Taiwan as well. So let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we are so encouraged that by, by Reverend Tu's words, reminding us that even though sometimes we feel our impact in this world is so small, that perhaps a handful of us went on short-term missions to Taiwan this summer, we're only there five days, and to see that you can take um, the little mustard seeds of faith that we have and you grow it into something mighty and you use it to bear incredible fruit to bless that local church. And so we thank you for the ministry of Reverend Tu and for Alliance Grassroots Training Ministry. Uh, we thank you for them reaching uh, the under-resourced in Taiwan, the people who are most overlooked. And we thank you that we get to partner in that. And so, Lord, thank you for being part of the church, capital C. And this morning, as we look into your word, may it help us evaluate the direction and the purpose of our lives, that we would live for more than just petty things and selfish things, but living for the glory of Jesus and his kingdom, both here locally and globally. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's pull up that first slide. So uh, before reality TV became a thing, uh, many years ago in the, uh, there was a TV show called Candid Camera that would set up a hidden camera to catch people's very honest reactions to very absurd situations. And the genius of this show wasn't just to produce laughter. No, the genius of the show was that you would get a fascinating look into the human psyche how people would respond to situations. So in the photo on the big screen, what would happen is they would, bring, they would allow unsuspecting people to come onto an elevator, and then naturally when you get into an elevator, you turn and face front, you face the door. But then they would cause, have three actors come in and enter, and they would all turn around and face the rear of the elevator. And of course, it left the person sitting there confused, and you could see the look on their face during the camera that, should I turn around or not? Now, here's what's interesting. When a fourth actor comes into the elevator and turns and faces the rear, without exception, every single person turned around and faced the rear. Even if that person had been in that same elevator a hundred times, even if they'd grown up knowing what's the right way to stand in an elevator, despite all these things, they couldn't uh, overcome the social pressure. It was too overwhelming for them to remain the only person facing front. The biblical Daniel also faces this kind of pressure to conform, and the reality is so do you. Every day at work, in our play, with the way we spend our time, with the way we spend our money when we're in running our errands, when we're enjoying entertainment, we're making choices between two sets of values. The values of the kingdom of God and the values of the kingdom of the world. And the question we're answering this morning is how do you resist conforming when most people are facing the wrong way? And so as we watch the world around us living in opposition to the kingdom of Christ, how do we make sure that we face 
the right direction when we get on the elevator of our lives. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off. We just started this new series called Between Two Worlds, discovering what uncompromising faith in God and faithfulness in our world look like through the book of Daniel. And you might remember that despite the warnings from God and prophecies, prophets that God has sent, the nation of Judah continued to turn towards idolatry and immorality, just like all the nations around them. They were conforming to the culture. And so just as prophesied by Isaiah chapter 39 and Jeremiah of chapter 25, the Babylonian empire comes in, conquers them, plunders them, takes their sons into service in their nation. And so Daniel and his friends are forcibly deported into a pagan culture, and they have a decision to make. Are we going to be conformed to this culture? Are we going to be shaped by the values and the comforts and the identity of life in Babylon or by God? And so they are thrust into this candid camera situation, except that this is not a joke. The stakes are much higher. And so as part of their new job, their new life in Babylon, they go through this three-year training program for public service in the royal court. Now, if you remember last time, one of the perks, one of the expectations was that you would enjoy this free buffet, this open bar from the king's reserve. And it wasn't a choice. But the problem was that the royal food and wine had many things that were included in it that were forbidden by God's law for Jewish people to eat. Now, for Daniel and his friends, it would have been easy to say, you know what, we are a long way from home. Everyone else is doing it. Let's just go with the flow because we don't want to lose the respect of our peers. We don't want to be rejected from our job. And it seems like a no-win situation. Either I go against the commands of the king or I go against the commands of God. And so the question that they're answering this morning is, do you have the resolve to resist the pressure of caving into the culture and compromise of Babylon? And I love the book of Daniel because we're going to see very practically how do you do that. Picking up in verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So practically, what do you do when you're in Babylon and you're, con you're, you're confronted with a compromising position? And I already mentioned, because this royal food would include a lot of things forbidden by God's law for Jewish people to eat at that time, Daniel felt this conviction from God. He makes a commitment to God not to defile himself. Remember we talked about last week, this is not about whether or not it's a healthier diet. It is, it's not. It's not whether about whether it's right or wrong to drink wine. It is in moderation. But what it's about is defiling yourself. That means to be made unclean through the indulgence of sin or disobedience against God. And so the first test of faith for Daniel and his friends is, am I going to be shaped by Scripture or conform to the culture? And the way he approaches it, did you listen to this very carefully? He asks the chief of the eunuchs to allow. He asks, allow. Those are the key words right there. And I want you to think about for yourself, when you're forced into a morally compromising or uncomfortable situation, the human tendency is for us to try to run 
from the situation, to rebel against it, to roll over for it. But Daniel responds respectfully with this humble request in order for him to honor God. And I want you to hear this because his obedience includes humility and respect for authority. What I mean is uh, when someone in authority over you, like your boss, maybe your parent, your teacher, your, the government, asks you to do something sinful, the Apostle Peter says in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. But he also says later on when he is suffering in prison in Rome by this Emperor Nero who is persecuting and burning Christians alive in 1 Peter chapter 2, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, including this very emperor, he says, for this is the will of God. Honor all people, love the family of Christ, fear God, and honor the emperor. And so when someone in authority can, tries to force you to do something that's against the will of God, the answer is no. But there's something about how we treat authority and how we respond to it in a respectful and an honorable way. Now, in this story, I want you to think about, back to, back to this part, if you have ever been in charge of feeding a group, it is pretty annoying if someone demands a different menu. You can ask my wife how she feels after spending all this time, all this energy cooking a meal for our whole family, if one of my children dares to ask her, is there anything else to eat? It's like, you know, I'm just going to ask you, what do you want your new gravestone? Because that was the wrong thing to say to mama. She does not take that well, and then there's consequences for them. And yet here, the result here in verse 9 is God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Now here's the question. Why does God open that door for them? It's not because they were kissing up to authority, not because they're manipulating their boss, but because he honors God genuinely by honoring men humbly with his respectful request. He doesn't fight them. He doesn't try to run from the situation. And the big idea from this passage is that God gives favor to those who resolve to be faithful to him in Babylon. And the first application, practical application of what that looks like, is that the issue at stake here is when you're up against a compromising situation. It's not just if you obey God. But how you obey God, that matters. That the resolve to honor God doesn't start, with battle, uh, start by battling with authority, but by honoring others with Christ's humility. And so I think about this way. This past week, my wife, Melissa, she was at a conference for Salesforce for, for uh, three nights, and she comes home every night, but she had to stay very late. And so every day after work, my schedule is, I come home from work, I pick up the kids from their schools, help them do their homework, make sure that they eat dinner, get them bathed, get them ready for bed. And it's just kind of a sprint to the finish line. My only goal is to survive, check my list, check, 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 I did all my daddy duties. And so you can imagine like when something, an interruption comes up and my kids say, well daddy, can we have dessert tonight? And you know the reason why, because mommy's not home, right? <laughs> They're like, blood, like sharks in the water smelling blood. We sense weakness. Daddy, can we have dessert tonight? But they don't know how much Daddy loves to check off my checklist. And so I say, we're not tonight. We're, going, we're a little bit behind schedule. Now the boys, they start complaining. My 10-year-old starts complaining. My 4-year-old starts crying. And uh, if you've ever been in my house, you know that's not... I, you know what? I, uh, they can tell you what I'll say. They can repeat it word for word. We use words, not whining. And 
when does whining ever get what you want in this house? Never, Daddy. Never o'clock. They know what time do you get whining? What time does whining work? Never o'clock. That's when it works. They know. Now, my seven-year-old daughter, she comes up to me, calm, kind voice. Daddy, I know you're tired and busy. <laughs> but these cookies that mommy and I worked so hard to bake together are starting to get stale. May we please enjoy them while they're still good? All right. Now, how did she do that? Not just because she's my little girl, but she won me over with how she was kind and respectful and uh, with asking a question of uh, a request instead of complaining and trying to fight me against it, right? And so when I want you to think about when you face the pressure of a compromising situation, in reality, what is your first response? Do you tend to run from it, rebel against it, roll over for it, or are you resolved to respond respectfully? Because you see, in God's economy, even if you win an argument by dishonoring people, you lose by dishonoring God. And I want you to think about how might the outcome be different, how you might receive favor if you were to apply the character and kindness of Christ first, first step. Now, I want you to know that treating others with humility and, and, and honor, that's not a magic cheat code. Because you may still find yourself, even after you've done the right thing, trapped in this questionable situation. We see in verse 10 that Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, the, the, the chief of staff for, for King Nebuchadnezzar, he responds reasonably. I'm not too keen on the idea, guys. If, if the king sees that you are more run down than all the other students, then he's going to ask me, did you obey me in giving these students, these four Jewish boys, the best food, my food? And if the answer is no... I'm in dire danger of not only losing my job, but losing my head. And so despite the favor that God has given Daniel and these three boys with the chief of staff, they're stuck. What can they do in this situation? Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. You see, most of us would enter a situation like Daniel's. We'll look at that situation and say, looks like there's only two choices. Either we defile ourselves or Ashpenaz loses his head, and he's not going to do that for us. So, well, we tried. I guess that's the end of it. That's the end of our resolve. That's the only option left is for us to cave into the culture and cave into sin. And I wonder if you've ever been there. You tried to be calm and rational with your boss. You tried to be kind. You tried to be, tried your best to do the right thing, and you find yourself still stuck. Now, Daniel's response is very interesting. You know, he did the right thing. He honored the Lord, and it didn't work out for him. But in verse 11, he tries a different route. He goes, okay, 
This is what the chief of staff says, and then he goes to his assistant, the one that, that not, not the chief of staff himself, but the one who's in charge of Daniel and his friends, and he comes, hey, I have a proposal. Psst, come here. I, want, I, want, I have a proposal for you in verse 12 and 13. What if we just try this short experiment? What if you just gave us like beans and veggies and rabbit food and water for, for a while, and then after 10 days, just evaluate our appearance compared to other people, all the other dudes, and then you can just do whatever you think is best. So he puts it in his court, puts all the authority. He's not demanding something. It's just an experiment. It's a request. And in verse 14 and 15, this steward, this assistant, agrees. And the result is Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they are far healthier visibly than the rest of the class. And so in verse 16, I want you to catch this little detail because it cracks me up. You see, the assistant this whole time, he was actually kind of hedging his bets by he was still serving them the king's royal food along in addition to all the rabbit food that they were eating. And the reason why was for plausible deniability. It's like, oh, oh, king, these four Jewish boys are sickly and starving. I don't know what happened. I gave them the same food as everybody else. But we see here in verse 16, he's so impressed by the results of this God-honoring diet that he just stops altogether bringing his backup plan. Honoring the Lord, even though he's not a worshiper of God. And the lesson here for you and I is that when we hit a roadblock to your faithfulness, it is not the end of the road to your faith. That there are times that God's favor is a wide open door, right? Maybe something that's compromising, you say, no, here's my reasons why. Of course, I'll accommodate your convictions as a Christian. Open door. Other times, most times. Like Daniel, God gives us wisdom to overcome compromising situations if we will be persistent in pursuing faithfulness. Resolve that when we hit a roadblock, we don't say, oh, that's it, just turn around and go back the way we came. But there's a persistence to it. And as we're persistent, that God is more than willing to give us wisdom to overcome compromising situations. So when that happens to you, we need to remember things like what Paul says, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that there is no temptation that has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he also provides a way out so that you can endure. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. A Christian church leader named David Jackson was coming home late on an overnight train. He was eager to see his family after an exhausting church leadership conference. And he wasn't sitting next to his friend because everyone in the whole train car was spread out on two seats so that they could lay down and rest for this long overnight train ride home. But at 1 a.m., the train pulls into Kansas City, and of course, more passengers come on board, and so everyone has to give up their extra seats. An attractive woman came on board. May I sit next to you? My name is Kathy. And she started to share with him that she was visiting her mom after a rough patch with her husband, where she felt that the, the marriage was probably coming, coming to an end. And so he falls back asleep on the train, but he woke up to find Kathy cuddling with him. Oh, I'm sorry, do you mind if I lean my head on your shoulder? Well, I, I guess not. 
And in his mind, he was thinking, she's just tired. I'm in a great marriage. We're going to be home soon. It's no big deal. Yet, throughout the rest of the, the train ride, she began to cuddle even more closely to him, and thoughts started penetrating his mind. I wonder what she really wants or would allow. And I can't believe I'm thinking this, but what could happen in this train full of people? Nothing except what Jesus warns us happens in our hearts. Finally, he gets a moment of courage, of resolve, of grit, and he asks Jesus for help in his weakness. Give me some wisdom. I don't know how to get out of this situation. And a thought, he doesn't know where it comes from, pops into his mind, and it occurs to him, I'm going to scour the car, and by just incredible luck, his one friend that he came on the train with has the only open seat next to him. And so he excuses himself, I'm going to go talk to my buddy, and then he moves, but he takes his stuff with him all the way to go sit down and spends the rest of the train ride there. But as he moves, he realizes it wasn't luck that prompted me. This was wisdom. This was a way out from God. But it didn't come until I resolved to honor the Lord first. So I want to ask you, what compromising position do you find yourself with your money, with your purity, with your family, where you want to do the right thing, but you're stuck. You seem like you're in a lose-lose situation. Either I give into the pressure or I give up on Jesus. And how often our solution to it is, well, I'm just going to rely on my own ability and morality to fix my way, to fight my way through this situation. But it never lasts. It never works out so well for us, does it? It might work one time, and then the second time, the third time, and at some point we make a mistake. And I'm going to encourage you, instead of wishing that God would give you a better situation, what if you need to ask for is simply better wisdom? That as you resolve to honor Jesus in patience, in prayer, along the way you start to discover His incredible favor in breathing wisdom and truth and power into your situation through how he'll speak to you through his Holy Spirit and his word. Now, this is a great story. If we ended just here on this end of the passage, you'd be like, oh, praise the Lord, he rescued Daniel out of the situation. And we've seen that in our own lives, that Jesus can rescue us from a momentary situation. But what happens, or what do we do when we're stuck long-term in a compromising position? Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. For those of you who weren't here last week, you probably know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So, after this issue with food that might defile them against the Lord, God doesn't just 
rescue and redeem them for a moment, He's faithful moving forward in their lives. Because we see here in verse 17, for the third time in chapter 1, it says, God gave. He gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, the very qualification that they need to be able to succeed in their training for royal service in the, in the king's court. Now, what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that they didn't study hard or work hard, but what it does mean is that God gave them skill, that he turned the tables from them being these overwhelmed captors and victims to becoming overcoming victors in this training program. And we see in addition to those skills that he gives Daniel discernment about supernatural visions of the day or supernatural dreams in the night to the power of God. Why does he do that? little bit of cultural background. So in Babylon, the advisors to the king, uh, you might call them wise men. We've seen that like in the story of, of Christ. They're not just people who are knowledgeable in science and sociology and polit- politics and rhetoric. They also had to be spiritual advisors because the Babylonians believed that spirits and gods would speak through divine dreams. And so they would use astrology and pagan rituals to interpret those dreams for the king. Now, I want you to hear that yes, there are times that God can and does speak to us, speak to people through their dreams. But I want to propose to you that most of the time when you're having a weird dream, that's, that's just stress or gas, okay? So that's not the normal modus operandi that, that God speaks to us. So don't think like, oh, like I had the weird dream where my head was like that of a unicorn and, and you know, and what does it mean? What is God trying to say? And God, you, that's, that's just your stomach speaking to you, all right? But here, by the empowerment of God, uh, Daniel is able to prophetically and accurately understand actual visions and dreams from the Lord. And so what you see happening here is he's, God has empowered him to be able to beat the rest of his Babylonian class at their own game, to demonstrate that the one true God is prominent and preeminent above all these false idols of their culture, to beat them at their own game. And so in verses 18 through 20, the final exam comes. It's been three years in this training program. And the the final exam is a personal interview with King Nebuchadnezzar to evaluate you. And what happens is Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, maybe got a little bit B-plus average, but they all tested at the top of their class, 10 times better than any of the wise men, any of the spiritual gurus in the entire empire. Why does this happen? Not because they had super anal parents that were, you know, tiger momming them into studying hard enough. What is God doing here? Pay attention to what God didn't do. Even though they were stuck in Babylon for three years in this pagan culture, he did not remove them from the pressures of Babylon. Instead, God gives them tools to thrive in Babylon for the long haul. And the questions that that his spirit is speaking to their hearts and minds is, do you trust me that I brought you here, that I've kept you here for a reason. And there will come a day, like you'll see throughout in, the, in later parts of Daniel, there will be prophecies and promises of deliverance. But in the meantime, will you trust the provision and purposes of God's providence that is keeping you here? There's times in Daniel we do the right thing and they still suffer, but the consistent testimony of scriptures is that God honors those who will honor him. And so what happens is he gives them tools to thrive in Babylon for the long haul. And when we say long haul, it's a really long time. 
Verse 21 isn't just a throwaway end of the history passage. What it's saying there is that because of these God-given skills, it keeps Daniel in a position of influence in the royal court until the reign of King Cyrus. Now, I want to give you a picture of what that means. That's about 66 years that he serves in public service in the royal court. Long after King Nebuchadnezzar is gone, through several other Babylonian kings, even during the fall of the Babylonian empire that's conquered by Medo-Persia, he continues to serve when the Persian king Cyrus conquers that Babylon in 539 B.C. That's a long haul. That's a long time for Daniel to be stuck in Babylon. And God has equipped him so that he can stay in a position of influence. So you and I may be stuck sometimes in our education, in our occupation, in our situation with constant pressure to conform or compromise. And yes, there may come a time when you need to quit or defy that authority in your life. But before you flee or fight or fold, would you ask the God of heaven and earth, the giver of every good and perfect gift, James 1.17 says, to equip you with tools so that you might actually thrive in Babylon. God has placed you where you are for a purpose. And it's not just to kill time. It's not just to kill your soul. That's not why I know some of you may feel that way about your, your school or your job. But as there's pressure by the preferences and priorities and practices of everyone else around us for things like how we look at money or family or comfort or our image, the pressures of accepting sinful sexuality or immorality, the allure of a Christless life without considering the cost of a Christless eternity. And yet you and I are called like Daniel to make a difference by being different than the world and its values around us. So why has God kept you in this compromising position? Sometimes we ask that question and we don't know. And we don't know because we spend so much of our time and energy complaining about Babylon that we don't notice that God has given us tools to thrive there. That He's gifted you with exceptional skills to bless your schoolmates, your workplace. That He's gifted you with a love, a supernatural love for neighbors with your generosity and hospitality, with grace, with prayer that you can bless people with, that He's gifted you with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring His love and joy and peace, His patience, kindness, and goodness, His faithfulness, His gentleness, and self-control, qualities that bless everyone around you in Babylon and mark you as different from the values and voices of this world. He hasn't left you in Babylon. He's there with you and equipping you to survive there, to thrive. And I want to end with this. You know, most of the time, the danger is not in caving into the big evils, like, oh, the world around us is promoting racism or, or, uh, or corruption, and that's easy to resist that kind of social pressure. It's not the big evils. It's the compromise in the little ones. You know, uh, many of you know that 
Monday is my day off, and I, I take my son Chili with, he's, he, he's usually in preschool, but Mondays he's, he's with me all day. And so I take him for half the day to just run errands. And so we do our grocery shopping, we go to Target, this, that, and the other. And then I always take him through the self-checkout, you know, and let, let him do little things like being able to scan items because he loves using that scanner. He loves pushing the buttons. He knows by now that when, uh, when, there's, when the question comes up, like, how many bags did you use? And that particular day, uh, I think it was two, two Mondays ago, I only had two reusable bags with me, so we needed one more. So I had to take one of the, the store bags, and then the screen pops up and asks you, how many of, bags, of our bags did you use, right? And Chili immediately goes up, boop, presses zero. I was like, why did you do that? We need to pay for the bags that we take. And then he points at the man at the standing at the self-checkout right next to me. That man didn't. <laughs> and I was like, I, did. I made the fatal mistake of making eye... We both made this awkward eye contact at each other. And I didn't know. It was like, you know it was only like... But for me, it felt like we were staring at each other way too long. And all I could do was kind of mutter, like, sorry. Why am I apologizing? This is the guy who's stealing bags, right? But I whispered to Chili... Honey, is it right or wrong for us to take what's not ours? But other people, it's not about what others say and do. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? So it's a good teachable moment. And uh, if you're tracking along with me right now, you should be thinking, this is a really boring, trivial example, Pastor Josh. This is where you're going to land this thing, this, this, this plane today, on this boring story. But I want to point out to you that resolve isn't formed in the obvious big issues. It's grown in the little choices, the daily choices, for Jesus or against Jesus, eating the king's food, taking a bag without paying, cheating on your exam, cheating on your taxes, dating somebody who is not a believer, being yoked to someone who's not a believer, giving up on your marriage, not because of sin, but because every worldly voice says that you should be happy, and that's more important. It's those things, those choices make, we make about what we do with that girl, what I'm going to do at that bar, what I do behind the wheel or behind closed doors, what I do with my free time, what I do with my paycheck. Small things. Everyone is doing it. It's no big deal. And if we continue to choose to cave in on the little things that the world says is acceptable, that God says is detestable, they add up. And over time, they form a trajectory, a direction, a pattern for your life of who you will be, where you will go, and whether you are moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus. And so like Daniel, do you have resolve? Resolve means making up your mind to persist with grit, with integrity, with humility, in faithfulness to God when you're stuck between these two worlds. And the good news is that you do not have to rely on your own ability or morality to get it done. You see, God gives favor to those who resolve to be humble and faithful to him in Babylon. That Daniel's whole life is point to, pointing to an entirely different kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And so it's not that Daniel and his friends or us, that we could ever be righteous enough to win Babylon, to have that kind of resolve. But Daniel's life points to a better Savior, a coming Savior, who's perfectly able to display the kingdom of God. A Savior who doesn't defile himself with any of Babylon's sinful indulgences, but remains faithful to his Father in humble obedience. 
whose wisdom outwits the schemes of Satan, transforming his own death into our forgiveness and life. Who God didn't simply make look better and healthier after 10 days of righteousness. God raised him from the dead. And because of his victory for us, because he puts us, his righteousness in us, that you and I can demonstrate the beauty and grace of God as he did in our Babylon. That's what God wants, to use you like Daniel, like Jesus. He puts you here to make a difference, but you can only do so by being different. So as we face the pressure to conform to a world that's facing the back of the elevator, may the Lord give you favor in humility. May He give you wisdom in your persistence. May He give you thriving in the long haul. And may He give you resolve in Babylon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the goodness of Your Word and its encouragement to us. There are times that I feel so weak, even like little details, little choices in my life, that it's easy to cave into cultural compromise. Sometimes it's not even the culture, it's just my own sinfulness and selfishness. And yet, God, we thank you for your word that reminds us there is a God in heaven who loves us, who empowers us, who gives us favor, who gives us wisdom, who gives us tools to be able to fight our way through to live with resolve that we might live for Jesus and his kingdom. And so today we ask humbly for your blessing on us. Whatever difficult, compromising situation we currently face or that we will face, we ask that you would help us to turn our eyes towards you. That we wouldn't face the back of the elevator, we don't even face the front of the elevator, that we turn our eyes upwards, inviting your spirit, your truth, and your grace to strengthen us, to encourage us, to speak to us, to give us life and wisdom, to live out the kingdom of Christ in this world. May your people walk in the resolve of Christ today. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus.